0: This episode of Agency Deal Masters is brought to you by Account Insight, the B2B programmatic advertising platform for B2B agencies. Account Insight helps you deliver targeted, tailored ads to high-value companies because today's B2B buyer decides digitally and in teams of up to 40 people. Account Insight helps you solve the problem of marketing to whole accounts, not just to one person. That's why smarter B2B marketers use account-based advertising. Founded by former WPP executives with extensive experience building and delivering B2B solutions, several friends of the show and leading B2B agencies use Account Insight to deliver targeted ads. You can find out more at accountinsight.ai. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Philip Gosney is the head of global marketing and product management at Mesk Drilling it's not very often that you hear people going from the legal profession into marketing. Many would consider that a significant step down. Um, but he tells a fascinating story about how he went from being a lowly lawyer at the company to now running global marketing for Maersk, the multi-billion pound drilling company. He moved into marketing when he started to complain to the powers that be that, hey, why is there no marketing at this company? You know, Where are the brochures? Wouldn't it be much better if we had this type of collateral or that type of collateral? And everyone looked around the room and nodded and agreed and said, Well, you know, if you can find the problem, I'm sure you can find the solution. And thus began his journey into marketing. And so it's really impressive and and pretty incredible that he's since gone on to run some of the most impactful demand and account-based marketing campaigns that are truly outperforming all expectations. This is just a masterclass on all things ABM and account targeting. By the way, this episode is sponsored by the good folks at Account Insight, the winner of the Emerging Vendor of the Year Awards at the B2B MarTech Awards. Stick around until the end of the show where you'll hear my discussion with Thomas Lint, Chief Sales Officer at Account Insight, reflecting on our conversation with Philip talking about all things ABM and account targeting. If you are interested in anything to do with ABM, B2B marketing, how to choose the right agency partner, and the business of Maersk Drilling, which is really a fascinating business, I learned a ton about drilling for oil in the middle of the ocean, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So, without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Philip Gosney. Philip Gosney is the head of global marketing and product management at Maersk Drilling. He has a background in law before moving over to marketing. Maersk Drilling supports global oil and gas production by providing high-efficiency drilling services to oil companies around the world. Their fleet of 23 drilling rigs is amongst the youngest in the industry and ensures the highest levels of safety. They have over 3,200 highly skilled employees operating state-of-the-art drilling rigs. And have done so for about 40 years, operating in some of the most challenging environments on the planet. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Philip Gosney, welcome to Agency Deal Masters.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And thank you for the nice introduction as well. So
0: excited to have you on the show. We're going to talk about everything from ABM and the future of B2B marketing and all of that good stuff. But before we do that, your history and background is absolutely fascinating because I haven't come across anyone with a similar story to tell. Your background is in law. So you started your career in law and you started as chief legal counsel for Maersk in 2012. How do you go from a career in law to now running global marketing for Maersk Drilling?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I guess my law career started even further back from that because when I was six, I told my mom and dad I wanted to be a judge. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, but I did. And I guess that's the, the path I went down for, for 10 or 15 years mm. and loved it. had a fantastic time before jumping over into the commercial world. I think we, I've, I've always been frontline commercial lawyer. Loved customer contact, so it made sense to to jump over onto the commercial side of the business, uh, running negotiations, and and that was super fun and led me to marketing by way of complaining, actually. I I complained uh, that our marketing material was non-existent. And then I, that's also strange that I'd worked here for seven years at that time and not realized why that was, we didn't have a marketing department. (laughs) It had never really, (laughs) never really occurred to me that we, we had no one doing marketing. Uh, Right. But of course, that was a common sense answer to why there was no marketing material.
0: And you were the first person to point it out. And then the person said, well, actually, if you can identify the problem, you should have a hand in coming up with the solution.
1: Yeah, I guess that they were not so polite, but yeah, that's what happened. So. I think they said, if I have time to complain about something, then I would also have time to do something about it, which uh, which is a good trait for, for this business, I think, that um, if you see it, you own it. And uh, yeah, I started to dig in from, from there. And, and I suppose I, I dug into it from a very basic, naive, short-sighted view of what marketing is. Hmm. After all, I was missing rig brochures at the time, which are these... Uh, these technical catalogs that if you're in this industry apparently are massively interesting, but if you're not, then, then I wouldn't recommend you, you read them. Um, but we were missing rig brochures. And and so I, I went in search of that and what I found when I scratched the surface of marketing is that this small corner of content is, well, that's nothing to do with marketing really. Uh, Mm. and the world of, of what's possible in marketing was about one, million miles bigger uh, than I thought it was and that's where I got kind of hooked mm. and, and probably started to uh, fall into dereliction of duty on my proper day job <laughs> 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 as, I, as I chased marketing more and more and more uh,
0: yeah.
1: and, and then then got to the point where I thought hang on a minute this should be this should be something big there, there's potential in here mm. there's so much possibility for mass drilling that we're not using uh, how can it be that we we expect to win more business, grow more business, but there are obvious tools on the table that we've we've just never taken them out of the box. Let's get into it. So so that's what I did.
0: Really interesting. Okay, so I've got a couple of questions mm. on this before we get into the deeper stuff. So what was the process of going from law to marketing? I, I know that you went to a lot of marketing events and seminars mm. to sort of learn from other marketers that are in this world. What did you discover on your journey about? the the strange relationship that sales and marketing have yeah. together and, and why did you think that was so unusual maybe just talk us through kind of how you how that journey evolved for you Yeah,
1: so I mean uh, when I moved into marketing and, and and got this this title head of back then it was it was just the head of marketing right I, we didn't do product management at all this was two two and a half years ago and I was a completely blank slate I just had to do my own research and, and that's when I went to marketing conferences to meet real people who knew stuff and find out what the possibilities were. And that that's how I started to uncover more and more about the possibilities and, and knowing our business so well and knowing the industry so well and knowing our customers, having met so many of them, I could start to make some really exciting matches between our business and what was possible. And that's where I really started to get excited. And and, and I, I remember being uh, when I got my my title as head of marketing. There was more than one person who, who asked me uh, phil why why have you been demoted <laughs> uh, and, and I could only laugh and say, well well actually I, I i i haven't I haven't been demoted, but what I can tell you is that whatever you think marketing is, having looked into it, it's not. And I am hugely excited about the impact it can make on the business. And that's what I've been pursuing, I guess, for two years, mm-hmm. is opening up the eyes of the business and finding ways to impact it disproportionately. And I think that's the exciting thing about being a small team. How do you find ways to disproportionately impact the business? Okay.
0: So so take us on a journey then. Tell us what the first six to nine months was like. Mm. And then also tell us... I mean, give us an I- idea of what was the problem you were trying to solve in the early days and how has that evolved? What mm. what problems is marketing helping to solve for Mesh Drilling today?
1: Sure. Well, I guess the first problem was what can marketing do for us? I mean, that's, it's not a problem. It was a, it was a question. If we should go down this route, should we go down this route? Is there anything on offer uh, in, in the, that world of marketing and I know most people listening will think that's a bizarre thing to even question of yourself, um, but but for us it was natural because we'd never done it before. So the f- the first period of time was opening up channels, speaking to other companies in Denmark and also in the UK about how they dealt with marketing, what they did, what channels they used, tools they used, uh, software, all of all of that stuff to understand the possibilities versus our business and where where is the match the match with the biggest impact and i think that's probably a good lesson learned if you if you know nothing it's it can be a little bit embarrassing to to go out and and speak to other companies but actually it was a huge uh, impact for me that that other companies would speak to us Hmm. being able to call up other heads of marketing and say hey i'm just about to go into this for the first time i was like a weird science experiment calling up right mm. um how could this possibly go right uh <laughs> appointing a lawyer to be their head of marketing how strange <laughs> so all of those companies without fail opened their doors all of them Wow. and gave fantastic input and insight and what they had learned and what they wouldn't do again and so on and i think it was When I came back to the office and and shared all of the learnings, I think it was people were a bit surprised about. Well, why do they want to talk to you? Why do they want to share like that? Mm. And uh, I said to them, well, you know, Mask is a big company, so the best thing that can happen to them is that they learn something from me that they can use in their in their business. I mean, that that would be good, but it's unlikely given the fact that I didn't know much about marketing. And the second best thing is that they can tell their boss, that the head of marketing from Mask drilling had just been in. And they were doing it way better <laughs> than <laughs> mass Drilling are um, yeah. So and get brownie points that way. Sure. So it's a win-win and I think it's a, it's a good lesson learned and we've done it numerous times actually when I started up, other teams gone out to other businesses and asked the experts there what would, hmm. how do you do it, what are your lessons learned and, and use that as a springboard to really skip some of the initial steps and, and not have to learn everything ourselves.
0: Well, let's talk about mesh drilling in a bit more detail, because Mm -hmm. you're actually on unusual business for a number of reasons. You've only got sort of, I say only, you've got 23 drilling rigs around the world. So Mm. your your defined audience, your potential audience is relatively relatively fixed and limited. You can't go around sort of creating more rigs. So it's not so much a scale question for you. It's more about how do you get customers to come back and deepen the relationship, etc. Talk about the problems that you solve for your clients who are they Mm. and what are the problems that marketing is now helping to solve with things like abm
1: so we have 23 rigs as you say drilling rigs they're huge steel pieces of equipment uh, and we we rent them out to all companies they're very expensive cost a few hundred million dollars each and as you say, therefore, ours is not a business of scale, um, unless you have a huge bank account, which uh, <laughs> which, which still needs to uh, have quite some space in it if you're going to add flexibly to to your fleet. Sure. So we're not in that process, and and everyone knows the oil and gas space is is fairly challenged anyway. Uh, so so acquiring more rigs is not always the the best way to grow your business. What we really want to do is have all of our rigs working all of the time. They're built to operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And every day they're not working, we don't get paid. And that's expensive. So um, if, if one of our drill ships isn't working, it is in port, then it costs us between 30 and $40,000 a day just to have it stood there. So it's right. And that's just the cost. That doesn't go into the financing of it. So... It's an expensive business to be in if you cannot secure that utilization for the rigs. Hmm. What do we need to do then from a marketing perspective is convert as many customers as possible, particularly those who are already using us or have used us in the past, because that's where they have had this really good operational experience. We're not out fishing, particularly around the world. So we're not looking to grow awareness. We have a big Blue and white logo that that travels around on containers around the world. So we're we're well known. Mm. We're not trying to uncover mystery customers. You generally cannot drill and exploit oil and gas in the middle of the sea without someone noticing. So those customers, you know, they, they've they've won a licensing round. Public information. They have to submit plans to develop a field. Public information. So we we kind of know who's coming up, who's going to drill, whereabouts. And then it's a question of using that knowledge and doing everything we can to increase the chances that we win the business when they actually start to drill. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're focusing nearly all of our marketing efforts is, is being very close to the sale, sales organization and doing everything we can to take our already really good position and see if we can push it a few percentage points more in our favor during the sales cycle. For our customers through ABM is is some of it, customer research, deep relationships, all those things that are high value touch points that bind our customers to us in a way that they have a preference for us when they need us.
0: Mm. And ABM lends itself to that mm. really, really yeah. quite well. Yeah. So so talk about how you arrived at ABM and then talk about what was the process from initially having that problem of deepening customer relationships and being in their consideration set when they are looking to drill Mm. to implementing an effective abm solution what does that look like
1: yeah so how did i arrive at abm that was through going to conferences and and sitting through a couple of courses and listening to some of the different marketing approaches and channels and so on and and, uh, discounting some of them right so i Sitting through a few hours of paper click and all this kind of stuff, and thinking, nope, that that's that's not going to do it for us. That that's not the right tool. And then I attended a a course with a lady called Shane Redding, and she explained account based marketing. And then I immediately was thinking that is that's it. That is exactly what we're trying to do. We don't call it that. We don't use exactly that approach, but The idea behind it or the outcome behind it is exactly what we've been trying to do. Mm. And that's where I became fixated on account based marketing as kind of our lead approach for marketing, at least in the early one, two, three years of uh, of building the
0: the team up. But then for an organization that hasn't really done marketing Mm. before, you were the first kind Mm. of head of marketing. How do you go to the powers that be with here's this grand Mm. plan of implementing ABM, which is research base and it's a long process and it's lots of heavy lifting and lots of Mm. moving processes how do you sell that in initially and then what's the process of going from there all the way to implementation like what are the steps along the way
1: so i think selling it in at least in this company is easy if you admit that it may not be a success that it's a pilot Mm. you're trying it we think it's the right thing, but we're not sure. But we, we sure as hell will know it after a few months, and then we can decide whether to continue or not. So, I think running a running a pilot on on ABM was a is a big endeavor, but it, it's not something that you're bound into. I've I felt far more scared committing to building up our tech stack, for example. <laughs> Once you've Mm -hmm. gone through months of integration, you don't want to realize you have the wrong tool. (laughs) Uh, That's for sure. Sure. Whereas with ABM, I think one of the really attractive things when I was explaining ABM internally is that it's made up of its composite parts. So while you're piloting ABM as a full concept, you're actually testing many other things which are still a benefit even if ABM overall is not. So, well, we'll still have some great content, right? So worst comes to worse, we'll have some great content. We can repurpose it and use it elsewhere. So the money is not lost. ABM as, a, as an entire program may not work, but we will have some great research into a customer. That has a lot of potential in it. Inside ABM, but even if ABM falls away, we will know what it's like to have done deep research into a customer, and we will know how difficult it is or easy it is To have the organization use it to win business. Mm. We will have an individual customer value proposition. For the first time, we will know what it feels like to really have done that work and we'll be able to see if customers' eyes light up or they don't care. Or they can't notice the difference. So inside ABM, because it's kind of a program that you can see sequentially, if you're me and you're coming from from more or less nothing, you get to test many things at the same time Mm. and then pick when you finished, which bits gave the biggest impact and either use them again in ABM or use them for something else. So so that was that was actually one of the, the highly attractive things about testing ABM for the first time.
0: So talk about the pilot project then. I mean, mm. what's the first step? I mean, yeah. you need to identify a customer, surely, that you want to test this on. How do you identify who that customer is? And then what are the other stages after that of a successful implementation?
1: Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, our first step was actually to find an agency to help us. So, so that took some time and, and there was a selection process and so on. And, and, and they introduced us even more deeply to, to ABM. But once we got that far, then, then as you say, the first step is to choose the right customer. And particularly when it's a pilot, you kind of only have one, <laughs> one shot to, to pick the right one from the start we We have three what we call tier one customers who who we we really prioritize, so it of course should be should be one of those and that was probably the first decision point really should it be one to one ABM or should we pick one to few ABM uh, as the pilot we we went for for one to one, so I thought well I'll try the most. Uh, the most burdensome, some might call it, or the, the most intense version of ABM, mm. see if that works. And if not, then I'm sure it will work in a scaled back version anyway in the future. So uh, start with it full on, one-to-one, and then we can always work backwards into one-to-few if it's if it's too much for the organization to carry one-to-one ABM.
0: Really interesting. And then what's the process after that? By the way, coming back to the agency question in mm. a moment, I've got a ton of questions about how you actually find mm. the right mm. agency mm. in the first place, because mm. that's a big factor mm. in the success of this. Yeah. So after you identify the customer, what are the other stages after that? I understand research. Next
1: is research. Right. And I still think research for me had the most impact on us. It's changed the way that we understand what we know and what we don't know. And it's changed the benchmark for what good looks like. About what do you know about your customer, really? And it it, it was the first time that we'd paid for research. It's the first time that we'd we'd allow our agency, a third party, to dig into our customers so deeply. And what came back was an astonishing level of detail, of, of embarrassingly public information. Right? I mean, it's, it's hmm. stuff that we could have known all along. But we don't take we don't take the time to do it, and I can understand that if you if you are a frontline salesperson, you don't have two weeks to to do desktop research into all your customers um, you need quicker fixes than that so I think really learning that research is a discipline it's a skill it's something that takes time and it's something that requires presenting in a super usable way and that was also the benefit of using. Our agency that is a professional research company as well, they could present it back to us in a format where it's mega usable.
0: What were some of the insights from the research for the first pilot that surprised you Mm. that you weren't expecting?
1: Some of the basic things. So some of those fund... I've I've worked on the front line. I've I've worked with customers. So I was always looking when out with customers, how do I make them understand that I know their business? not by standing and giving a lecture or some formal presentation, usually coffee machine examples. Hmm. No, we're in a negotiation. We go out the room, we stand and get a coffee. I know them. I say, how are you doing? And it's good to see you. And, and then I say, hey, I saw that you were doing X. It's so cool. Are you working on that yourself? Or what's it leading to? And it reminded me that we've also done Y in the past. And, and I can see there's some kind of uh, interesting overlaps there. I mean that. That's just a brilliant coffee machine chat that tells your customer, I understand your business, I'm interested, I follow it, I know where you're going and there's a match because we're going the same direction. Hmm. So the research really uncovered a number of these points. They could be buried down in their press releases, they could be buried in their website, things that if I'm going to a negotiation, I would not have time to research my customer for five hours trying to find these, these perfect points, right? So a lot of these really good uh, examples, uh, and then also in the research, we did a lot of individual profiles, individual profile research. So taking individuals that are important to us and who we, we come across in the customer organization, and just planning their chronology of work. Where, wh- what's their background? What did they study? What are they interested in? What different positions have they held in this company? Hmm. Super interesting to see it on a, on a piece of paper. And then you understand, okay, well, I'm meeting the head of procurement, but actually for the past 10 years, they've been in sustainability. Then I can be pretty certain that they will have a certain (laughs) uh, slant towards that topic, and I should be ready for it. So uh, many, many, many great examples that are presented in an easy way to consume are then easy to implement when when you're out with, with customers.
0: Really fascinating. And then, so you also shared an example last time of an automotive Mm. insight that you found from research. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Share that example. Mm, Yeah, so
1: that was a a good example, right? Where two individuals who are both important to us uh, at a customer, and the research showed that when one of them went out to speak or made things on LinkedIn, whatever it might be, always he would compare the lack of progress in our industry to the huge progress in the car industry with regard to robots and and automation. His colleague, also a person super important to us, in exactly the same circumstance, he preferred to compare it to the airline industry and a lot of the the computer learning uh, that goes on so that pilots don't have to do as much as they they used to do uh, and thereby increase safety and operational certainty and so on. So two individuals, same organization, both important to us, both with similar backgrounds, both with similar influence in the customer organization with two different favorite topics uh, for explaining where we are as an industry. Now, from an account-based marketing perspective, that became mega interesting. If you're trying to touch the hearts and the souls and the minds of those individuals, we could then make same content, more or less, but with important deviations. One, content where there was analogy to the airline industry and one to the car uh, manufacturing industry. Hmm. What we were then able to do on top of that is we were thinking at that time any way of doing an event and it unfortunately it got cancelled due to to covid like the rest of life but we were thinking of doing an event and based on that research we decided to actually team up with a contact from the car manufacturing industry who would come and talk in an oil and gas perspective about all of the journey that the car industry has been through, and how then we could could learn from that uh, in oil and gas, and and uh, perhaps see our futures in, in their in their past and current from a from a car making perspective. So it really gave us some ways in on topics and perspectives that we never would normally have dug deep enough to uh, to uncover.
0: That brings me on to the next question then around the results. I mean, this is where the rubber hits the road. Everyone mm. wants to know, well, how did it go? Yeah, what were yeah, the results? Yeah maybe talk through talk through that and um, what were you expecting the results to be when you started versus kind of what the reality was at the end
1: it's fun I, what did we expect the results to be i didn't know i had no idea so um and, and i know that's that's heresy uh, for 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 not having firm kpis and all of this kind of stuff but we sure. we just didn't know i mean to me there's a lot of vanity vanity metrics around around click through rates and all this kind of stuff but at least up until I took over marketing, I was just focused on revenue and hard business and deep relationships, right? And that, so that's mm-hmm. more of a, the money is measurable, but the rest is, is kind of a gut feel about how good is this going? Are we swinging with this, this customer? So we set out not knowing, and it, it was really interesting for me at every stage to, to look at our own organization and say, how well is the organization taking this on? Is this something that's repeatable? Do they like it? Can they see the benefit? Do we feel closer to customers? And then, of course, the external one where we measured with, with, with various uh, metrics on, on how many people were looking, etc., and then how many high-level meetings we could create. I think two lessons learned from that. One was that ABM is extremely reliant on the complete buy-in of the sales frontline which everyone knows um, but if you haven't tried it it's, it's completely true it can it can mess you up if you don't get it and and we got messed up uh, in our pilot um, not through lack of cooperation far from it but um because the key salesperson uh, went on paternity leave uh, right. and in the country where he's based it has a long paternity leave months and months and months so suddenly we had to pivot the 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 pilot very differently, uh, move right. a little bit away from individual relationship building to, to more, generic, um, more generic approaches, which isn't ideal at all f- for ABM um, or isn't the idea behind ABM really to try to go mm. to create generic relationships. So that was, that was a, a really good lesson learned uh, for future about just being very careful if we're dependent on one individual sure. and probably building the program with two or three or four individual touch points so that you're not so affected mm. and then the second learning i think was we'd chosen this customer because they are very important but we have put a lot of heart and soul and focus into two projects that were coming up and the focus of the program was very much on winning or being preferred for those two programs and both were cancelled due to the oil price uh, crash and and then you suddenly have this crisis moment to say, okay, I'm I'm a third in. What are we going to do? The two main things that we've been arguing towards and put our communications into and value proposition, they've gone. What now? And of course, if you've picked your customer right, then they should still be relevant to you, regardless of those two projects, because it is, it's something that should last for a long time. But again, that required a pivot, which was unexpected. And I think a, a lesson learned is to, is to be careful maybe how sensitive your program is to some changes like that. I think in future I would ask myself, what if I would challenge the team and say, well, what if you say we're doing this because we want to win these two projects? Explain to me what if they go away? Hmm. Would we not do an ABM program at all because this customer doesn't matter to us? Or would it be a different kind of ABM program? And I would plan a little bit more into these unforeseen events risk mitigation you could call it risk mitigation Uh, risk mitigation against uh, account managers or or frontline sales colleagues being so dependent on one and just what if a couple of the deals disappear from that particular customer Mm. what would that mean for the abm overall how would you pivot your way out of it
2: Mm.
0: really interesting too hard for sort of lessons learned there around not being too dependent on one person Mm. and Identifying the right customer with the Mm. right projects. Really, really interesting. Last couple of questions before we get into our favorite questions at the Mm. end of the interview. So, you said at the beginning of of, of this section, number one, Mm. first priority was choosing, finding the right agency that was able to implement ABM and sort of take you on this journey. What have you learned about how to find, recruit, and work with the right agency that's able to deliver the value that you want Mm. when it comes to ABM? cheat Um,
1: okay uh, by which i mean i I knew we needed an agency but i had no clue what a good agency looks like okay and google didn't help me either
0: (laughs) they're usually really good at that yeah
1: there was uh and asking around other companies i got no wiser because what i found out suddenly is that there's a million different agencies specializing in two million different things <laughs> and you somehow should put together a jigsaw of at least 360 different agencies and then you're okay and then i thought well, what was the problem that, that that's well that's very odd from a service industry for a start uh, i've not so, heard of that before and secondly that that seemed difficult what we did is and i i, I guess i can give a good shout out here to shane redding who um who works in the UK and and she was actually a a teacher on one of the courses I did. And I thought, you know what, that lady looks and sounds like she knows what she's talking about. (laughs) So I approached Shane and, and, and said, Shane, will you, will you help us to find an agency, an ABM agency? She has all the contacts experience across multiple customers of hers experience of many agencies. And she helped us research and define a short list based on her experience uh, and, and those of her customers, and so on. Mm. So it was a good way to cheat and basically buy in all of Shane's experience and get get that help and reassurance that I wasn't, you know, going to pick something that I I regretted down the line, and and mm. and it worked. It was a it was a great process, and we still use the same agency today, plus a couple of others that we found specializing for in in 3D animation and so on. So so. Kind of different creative agency, but that was how we did it. Interesting. And I think it's just always that thing of not being scared to admit that I don't know, but I'm sure someone does.
0: <laughs> okay, but even when you whittle that list of three hundred thousand agencies yeah. down to three, let's say, it's at that point it's all still very close. I mean, there's yeah. very little between the three chosen, you know, mm. shortlisted agencies. Yeah. What made the difference to you in choosing one agency over the other two or three?
1: Did I understand them? And did they understand me? Uh, Which sounds very self-centered, but, but (laughs) did, did I understand them? Meaning I was new to marketing. I needed a partner who was, would really spend the time to explain to me the basics and the acronyms and, how this all worked so did i feel like i had a consultant kind of relationship it was no good for me having an execution based agency because i wouldn't be able to explain to them how to execute hmm. so really important to have that that collaborative feel where i felt i could from a from a personal level work in a in a very imbalanced relationship hmm. imbalanced in terms of information and understanding i needed somebody to help me come up and trust that they would pull me in the right way and i guess the, the trust that they would pull pull me in the right way by which i mean mesdredding in in the right way that that was the other criteria how well did they understand my business once i explained it were they able to put their finger in the pain point and say i think your problem is down here and then i would say yeah you're right it is down there as opposed to I think your problem is down there, and then I would be like, mm, "No, it's not really." Yes, I don't but- need to. I don't need mm-hmm. to. I don't need to increase my leads or whatever. That that's not my problem. Let me try and explain a different way. So, so how quick, how quick were they into the business, the industry? That was a key criteria, and, and it fell fairly fairly naturally in the end. And of course, price is of course one of the, always one of the criteria as well. Uh, but as you say, that usually comes in fairly, fairly close anyway.
0: Mm. what's your approach to communicating something you're unhappy with with your agency
1: absolute frankness and i know this is a bit weird as well but but i actually run agency afternoons so i don't consider our agency separate and i don't consider us separate from the agency or vice versa i just consider us one one team Mm. which is an offshore concept and one that from a strategic perspective we at Maers Drilling believe in a lot that if you if you eliminate boundaries between organizations and work together you actually drill a hole a lot faster and I think also we we will get to our marketing goals a lot faster so the three main agencies that we use and as we get together where I go deep into Maers Drilling strategy I present our annual goals our KPIs our budget all of those aspects and then everyone there will then know each other. So now we're starting to see agency call agency without involving me, which is perfect. Then they can, <laughs> it's much more efficient that way. Agencies understanding the strengths and weaknesses of each one so that we can put together multi-agency programs where they themselves agree that one agency should do this part because they're better at it. And we start to get these, these projects rolling where everybody knows each other, There's no secrets and in that respect, you can give praise and hard feedback as well sometimes in a very open way.
0: Last question before we get into our favorite questions at the end of the Mm. interview, which we ask all of our guests. What else are you excited about when it comes to the future of B2B marketing? I mean, you said at the beginning that ABM is one of many Mm. tactics which you could have used to execute your strategy. What else are you excited by?
1: I don't know if it's... it's, uh... It's geeky, but it's at least least very specific to our industrial kind of area of business. But that is bringing offshore, onshore. By which I mean, it is extremely difficult for our customers to actually visit one of our rigs. Hmm. They are two, three hundred kilometers off the coast. You need to have a week's helicopter license to fly out there. It's an environment which is dangerous, so we limit people going there as much as possible. Sure, it's hard to go there, and again and again we see customers where we try to tell them about some of the things that iRigs rigs can do that they're not aware of. But it's it's hard, right? It's tough to in an abstract way to to imagine yourself out there. Sure. So we're doing a lot of work to bring the offshore onshore, and, and that means through virtual reality experiences, uh, augmented reality experiences, 360 degree experiences where we we either film or animate the rigs uh, and then put them into experiences so that we can actually give customers tours as though they're there. And we can build the rigs through through high resolution animation in a way that you can take things out of the way. So a good example is uh, we're just working on um, a 360 degree experience, cheap, cheap plastic goggles that we can post to customers. They, they cost around $5 each. Uh, you put your mobile phone into the goggles and then they take a tour of the rig uh, where they can look all around. And, and because it drives just through on YouTube, basically, because it's animated, it's not real, we can put them in places that they're simply not allowed to be. Mm. In the most dangerous areas of the rigs out on the drill floor where there's a lot of moving equipment. We're we're actually taking great pleasure in in this experience, standing someone right in the middle of the drill floor while they watch the equipment fly past the end of their nose and feel a little bit like they want to dock and so on, and then explain how it works. Yeah. So getting people into the environment that they are essentially there to, to try to procure anyway and give it to them in a way where it's an interesting learning experience and from a marketing perspective, where they want to go home and pass it on to somebody else in that office.
0: Oh, that's interesting. They
1: desperately want to go home and say, I have just seen this. It is mega cool. Everyone in the office, come over here, put these goggles on and watch what happens. And if we can do that, it's a great way where it's probably the wrong the completely wrong definition of organic marketing. But for me, it's organic marketing where you, you put one thing with a customer and then you watch it spread inside that organization. Sure. And you can yeah. see from the insights and the tracking, it's going everywhere. Oh, wow. Uh, we can, you know, because it's a web-based web based uh, experience. So we can see, hang on a minute, did you not give yeah. this to someone in the UK? Because now someone is in, is in Brunei looking at this and now they're yeah, in Australia and in America. So you can see yeah. kind of the footprint grow. And if it does that,
0: you doing something right then
1: you're doing something right and and one last point on that is 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 in my product perspective some of the stuff we do in marketing would make awesome products if we charge for it and actually we had a customer who'd seen one of these experiences contact us and say can I buy this to use in our training academy to train mm-hmm. young recruits on what it looks like to offshore drill and that's where you can actually turn some of your marketing through repurposing. The famous kind of repurposing. If you can do some of these experiences and repurpose into a product and experience for training, then you can make back your marketing budget.
0: Turn marketing into a profit center. And make
1: it a profit center. (laughs) And, and And I really believe there's a close, if you're developing customer experiences, there is easy repurposing to be an amazing employee experience, an amazing recruitment experience. And the holy grail is a training experience that you can sell to your customers. But there's a fine line, there's maybe only 10% to move in each direction and you have it. You just have to see the bigger picture and try to dig out all the possibilities. Hmm.
0: Philip, I've really enjoyed the chat, everything from your history and, and background to everything that you're doing at, at Mask and the evolution of your career and, and, and the insights into what makes a fantastic ABM campaign. Thank you very much. For, for being on the show. I've got a few more questions. I cannot let you go without mm. asking our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests. So okay. I'm gonna ask you some of them now. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Mm. I think I
1: failed when I moved over to marketing. Okay, Which sounds strange, right?
0: Contradicts what you've just yes,
1: said. Yes, yes. But I was wrong. I hadn't, and, and and let me put it in 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 context. I moved over and felt an immediate lack of uh, authority in the organization because I'd always been a lawyer. And it's strange when you are a lawyer, you don't quite realize it, but people seem to listen to you. Very strange. Um, it's something about the certificate on the wall, sure, and and quoting rules and regulations, and. and I had been used to nobody questioning my advice. <laughs> you know, I, I would go around in, 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 in meeting the CEO and advising him and the chief leader, all these people. And they was, Oh, very good. Wonderful. Uh, right. Carry on that. We should definitely do that. <laughs> and then I changed to the commercial world. And, and, and <laughs> And people started to suddenly question if I knew what I was question doing Question you, yeah. and say, well, how do you know that's true? And I said, well, it's just based on my best judgment and, and research and so I mean, on. And for a while it, it did shake my confidence on how to deal with those situations. And for a while, I think I was a little bit, almost panicked about kind of, well, what will I, do? suddenly nobody believes me. What, what, what will I do about that? And, and that was a good few months where I actually went to a, a coach, uh, and and that person helped me a lot to understand that that I'd essentially lost uh, the authority of status, mm-hmm. moving, uh, and apparently it turned out that that I wasn't the first person who'd made a career shift and and come by his office to explain this sensation of losing your authority. Uh, mm-hmm. You can no longer be hi- hide behind the shield of your education, or your background, or your authority in a specific topic. You actually have to use authority differently or earn it differently through the way that you work, the way that you build a team, the way that you're able to pull on different uh, expertise in the organization and start to work without subject matter authority. And that was one of the biggest learning points in, in my career actually. Going from a, oh no moment, what have I done? to experiencing this this explanation of what was happening to me. I'd lost my subject matter expertise authority and didn't know what to hold on to next. Uh, and then learning to gain authority through, yeah, the leadership, the way that you pull together a team and that you can leverage the organization. And, and yeah. then I realized that, that, yeah, I hadn't made a mistake after all. Actually, it was uh, a very important transition that I no longer had to be the expert to actually get things to work.
0: That's really fascinating. So I'm, go- I'm just going to stay here for a moment because I thought that's really interesting. So you, you know, on one hand, you've got this inherited uh, value or trust because of the certificate, but on, on the other hand, as you become a marketer, you have to earn mm-hmm. that through mm-hmm. doing a good job. Essentially, is what I'm hearing you say. Which one is better? <laughs> Human beings inherently trust people with letters behind their names and authority and credibility. We trust authority figures. But actually through doing a job and doing it well you actually earn earn trust and earn credibility mm. and i think a lot of marketers listening to this would sort of identify with yeah we're not we're not taken as seriously as we as we uh, would like to be but actually through doing a good job they've inherited that w- which one do you think is better
1: i think they're just different mm. different uh, i think the first one is easier to come with but you will lose it eventually Mm. <laughs> so I mean if you you can come with all the certificates you want but um eventually people will, will find you out and you will lose the credibility that you started with. Uh the other one I guess starts the other way around you don't necessarily have that credibility but you need to build it up. Mm. Uh so there're probably different methodologies for for arriving at the right place but but I think whichever way it happens you must know your business, and, and, and I mean knowing the business at a far higher level than being the head of marketing or the head of procurement or the head of whatever. You have to know the business, because if there's one thing that that everyone understands at this organization is when I talk about the business. Business first, the effect of marketing on it second, and how the two can tie together. But while ever you understand that the, how the business works and what levers there are, To create value for the business, then you can be the head of anything really, (laughs) because it's not you that's doing the work in the technical sense of the word.
2: Hmm.
1: We all create value differently. And and I just, uh, I have to have a great team. Luckily, I have one. They're the experts in marketing, not me. Hmm. It works perfectly fine. At least I think it does. I don't know what they think. <laughs> well, I do. I do know what they think. They're they're all right. They okay. they like to work here. I ask
0: them. I get them. They, the they like to.
1: Yeah, you can ask them. They yeah. like to feel clever when I when I when I don't know what they're talking
0: about. <laughs> what do you do to keep mentally and physically fit?
1: Mentally, I walk the dog. Uh, we have a a big, fluffy, heavy Newfoundland dog. So that's like a sixty kilo dog who walks. Wow. Uh, Walks fairly slow behind me and then chases something and pulls me through the mud. But um, So I, I, I walk the dog to, to, to stay mentally mentally fit. I think that's a great time to have some quiet conversations and reflection time. And, and that's uh, uh, also usually where I come with my stupid and crazy ideas where the team is like, ah, oh, damn, you've been walking the dog. And I was like, yeah, sorry, I've been walking the dog and <laughs> just, white it. Had an just put it on the whiteboard right. and, and ignore it for a with week and I'm sure them. I will have forgotten. Yeah, exactly. So... So uh, yeah for sure walking the dog has been a great thing we we got that 2 years ago and it's mm. uh, it, it's changed the it's changed the structure of my day right uh, i have to find time to to go out and do that
0: Amazon Prime or Netflix what are you watching or streaming that's good
1: I'm in Denmark we cannot have Amazon Prime Is that so It's not allowed no Really So Netflix Netflix or Netflix yeah Netflix or Disney plus do you, do you get <laughs> Disney that? plus we've just we have just joined the world and got Disney plus yeah <laughs> Yeah, so...
0: Tell us something interesting that you've watched recently that's good, Good. any good recommendations. Ah, well, the,
1: <laughs> well, I shocked my kids last week because uh, my youngest is five. She wanted to watch The Little Mermaid, so uh, I, I revealed to them at dinner that I actually know all of the words to The Little Mermaid. <laughs> uh, the, the music, the songs, so... Right. Um, and, of course, they didn't believe me, so then uh, I ruined their dinner for 15 oh, minutes no. singing all no. of the songs. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs>
0: brilliant uh tell us about some of your favorite books fiction non-fiction
1: whatever books is embarrassing I'm a I'm a podcast guy um okay favorite podcast I've not yeah I've not read uh, I've not read books for for quite some years um apart from children's books that is (laughs) um so so no I I, I'm a podcast guy and I I listen to Tim Ferriss a lot actually uh particularly his earlier his earlier work Hmm. um he's got a little bit too much into magic mushrooms for my liking. So (laughs) it tends to be, tends to be a lot of episodes about the effects of hallucinogenic drugs, but the earlier ones, I mean, I I don't know if you know him, but his principle is that he interviews the best and leading people in their field. Yeah. And the great thing about that show is that those fields are so diverse. They can be Mm. all over the place. I think my, Mm. my favorite episode is a bear, a bear researcher from, from the mountains in North, North America. and, And he speaks for, two years about uh, bears and wolves and all sorts of stuff and Amazing. I think it's great to great to take uh, inspiration from from all of these different fields and uh, again they're they, my team usually knows when I've read a podcast or, or listen to a good podcast because I come in the office and here's and another idea yeah, <laughs> yeah here's another <laughs> idea
0: yeah um, put it on the wall yeah Tim Ferriss podcasting royalty you know when I when I was setting up this show I mean that was one of the examples that we use for. What is, you know, what are the best in the world do? Mm. And, you know, if you set your bar there, you can't go too far wrong. Last couple of questions and then I'll let Mm. you go. What advice would you give to a young person or millennial who wants to start their career in the world of marketing?
1: Get it started. Life is long, hopefully, and careers are are mega long, hopefully. And there's the chances that you hit right the first time are so small that you may as well just get started. Hmm so and i think there's get in there find out what's fun when life throws a weird twist jump on it and and take the turn and, and you can always come back again and i think the only thing that's certain is what's already happened so um there's no point sitting down too too much and making a three-year plan and a five-year plan i mean who who sure. knows jump in get started get experience under your belt find out what is fun Find somewhere to work that that values people. I think. Make sure you're somewhere that you're learning. You're you're not there to to just do a job. You're there to gain experience and and be a better version of, of yourself when you when you come out of it and and see what life throws at you. But hmm. yeah, give it a go. The worst thing that can happen is you resign and do something different.
0: <laughs> go into marketing yeah law.
1: Yeah. yeah. going to law you could go to law <laughs>
0: right? Well, my final question Phil what do you know about B2B marketing and ABM today that you wish you knew either at the beginning of your career or when you made the switch from
1: law to marketing I guess I'll take, I'll take from when I made the switch because I can't remember that far back to when I started my career <laughs> um, that is the amount of time it would take to get this right Mm-hmm. completely underestimated it. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that my experience was was largely drawn from when I set up other teams. Uh my, my previous commercial team for example where from finding out where the issues were and then coming up with a solution and implementing that took kind of 12 months and then you know within 18 months it drove without me uh which which is for me a, a great a great measure of success I I think if um if I can do no work and it keeps going, then all the better for me. <laughs> <laughs> then, then, uh, then I can start to work for the team instead of the other way around and, and get some tasks. Sure. Um, so, so I think I'd measured it against that. And now, when I look at the time it takes to make really good content, to to do all the research that's required to build a tech stack, to make those integrations with all the different systems, to to even that is taking a lot of time and then you have to find out what's the right thing to do and constantly tweak it. And I think that's what I'd, what I'd, I guess, thought that that we would land on the perfect solution very easily. Uh, and what I've learned is there is no perfect solution and this is going to take a long time mm-hmm. before we can sit back and say, you know what, this has just been, perfect campaign the perfect way to approach this customer we have just achieved kind of Dalai Lama status in <laughs> in account-based marketing and, and and growing the value for business um and I think the the most important thing we can do while we're underway way is make sure we're kind of doing the can-can together by doing the can-can I mean uh <laughs> sorry uh by doing the can-can which is, yes, you're right, the, the, the ladies dancing under a windmill in France, uh, <laughs> kicking their legs high. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it's a strange reference, but um, at least when I talk with the team, we're doing the can-can, first of all, if we all have our arms around each other, mm. supporting each other which is an absolute requirement to kick kick your legs in the air uh, is is <laughs> but but you have your arms around each other yeah. you are tight you're close to each other you're taking care of each other and it feels like a unit mm. that's kind of one element of the cancan mm. And and then of course you have to have your legs like swinging in the same rhythm backwards and forwards, and we've all been drunk at weddings and tried to dance to New York, New York. (laughs) That's how it feels if it's not going good. (laughs) That's not the feeling. Like, it's having all the elements of your team and the business swinging in the same rhythm at the same time for the same common goal Mm. towards deepening a customer relationship or winning a deal. It just feels awesome. And I believe it. I've, I've been in deals. You can feel it everyone is energized it feels good the system isn't clanking there's no wheels wobbling kind of doing that can can and swinging the legs just Mm. is working and then i think the final test of are you doing the can can is the audience like it must just look good and full of energy when you're in the audience i've I've never been but it it just looks fun and Mm. impactful and i think if you can see your audience smiling back wanting more clapping looking and taking energy from you then kind of you're doing the can can and if the team can do that along the way then mm-hmm. we're kind of always in the right direction both as a team as a culture as growing the business as learning about marketing about doing abm everything but it takes practice because i guess you can't just go and be a professional can can dancer uh, <laughs> the, from day one but so that's what we work on all, all the time as well
0: I, I think we found the title of this episode. Can you do the can can?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. That was a, a weird, a weird final uh, change of direction. But, uh...
0: <laughs> but it makes complete sense. Thank you very much for sharing it with us. Phil, thank you so much for doing this.
1: You're very welcome. It's been a great experience. Thanks very much.
0: We have been speaking with Philip Gosney. He is currently the head of global marketing and product management at Maersk. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 120 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in marketing and B2B. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Anita Becoldi is our production assistant. Sarah Spence is our booker project manager. Tyler Baller is our editor. Krzysztof Boaszczak is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. This episode was brought to you by Account Insight, the B2B programmatic advertising platform for B2B agencies. In this episode, I sat down with Thomas Lint, the Chief Sales Officer at Account Insight, who recently won the Emerging Vendor of the Year Award at the B2B Martek Awards of 2021. Thomas and I discussed our interview with Philip Gosney where we talked about the role of account-based advertising in effective B2B campaigns. Thomas, thanks for joining us. Great interview there from Philip Gosney, who had a fantastic story coming from a completely different field, the legal field, moving into marketing and and running global marketing for Maersk. And also, I thought it was really fascinating hearing him talk about how account-based advertising works on top of and complements an effective ABM strategy considering that he's got a very small, defined audience of target buyers who he needs to build a relationship with. Um, And he he told a fascinating story about how they've been able to do that using account-based marketing. Talk about what your key takeaways were from the conversation and how does Account Insight work on top of and complement what Philip just shared with us?
2: Well, thanks, Nathan, and I, I totally agree. Uh It was really, really an interesting story told by Philip. Also, just going the fact that he's comes from, from from legal to marketing, and not that normal. So it 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 also puts maybe marketing in a in a in a different perspective and a more interesting perspective in many ways. But what I, what I really really took out from the podcast here was the fact that becoming more precise in the marketing communication from 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 Musk. Towards the market, how important that is, how important it is to bridge uh, marketing with sales, uh, and also just uh, Phil Gosni just stressed the fact that without having a, a, an involved sales team, the ABM strategy just won't be successful. So you really need the entire organization to come along with with the overall strategy and not making marketing as a something done on the side and just a mass communication uh, approach to the market. Where they can really bring the essence of the company, the products, the services to the market, but in this high precision approach through account based marketing. And, and, and what, what we bring to, to, to the equation. And this was just a, a basic and actually a typical example of what we meet, what we meet from agencies and clients across the globe is, is the fact that, that internally sales. Always have the the organization, the the business always have a, a focus on on accounts, on companies, on clients. Then sometimes they they have to communicate broadly, but they are really looking for for being able, looking for a, a possibility to uh, to really bridge the organization with marketing, and then let marketing communicate in the same with the same precision as sales and the, the organization is is doing. When we have these discussions. Then what we bring from account insights is this account-based advertising as part of the marketing activities, where we're able to to bring uh, maybe a broader scope also to 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 the uh, to the campaigns with reach, also creating awareness and engagement. But but we are really bringing a new dimension to uh, to the ABM strategy, which which is traditionally very much a one-on-one approach, which also feel P- really really stressed. Uh, doing that so also even though we can say that abm well that's a new thing it's only been around for a couple of years but abm is old school uh, in sales department they have always done it done it this way they've always focused on the clients and the companies in 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 target uh, then someone has just figured out okay let's call it abm and then okay now we have new thing for marketing but but uh, what is really just interesting is is the way that where we from account inside have the, actually the, the ability, uh, and I'm actually a bit humble about that as well. Have the ability to get closer to, to, to the organization, to get closer to, uh, to the products and to become closer to uh, the sales process that, that is always the topic. It's always about bringing sales, generating leads. Uh, show me the money in, in hmm. the end. It's a it's business objectives. That is always driving, uh, the, the overall objective. But, but, uh, but how can marketing connect with that? Uh, and also as, 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 Phil Augustine mentioned that for us as a partner, uh, being able to understand the, 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 the current situation, the challenges and the objectives is just really a crucial part, uh, for us, uh, which is maybe also why much of what we do or much of what I do, Uh, in sales and and my colleagues in in sales, um, it's just as much consulting as it's actually sales. We need to be able to talk about business objectives, business goals in order to figure out how can we uh, adjust to that? How can we adapt to that? And how can we assist uh, if we should assist? Also, sometimes it's also a a really clever approach, a a good approach to say, no, uh, I think that other ways are more uh, relevant to go. But the fact that The closer we get to to the product, the closer we get to the organization, uh, the better we can help. So in that way, I think that Philip Gossner's comments and and story about what happened at at mask Drilling has happened during the years. Hmm. Uh, It's really, really uh, an interesting story. Uh, And also a story I have heard many times, Hmm. but it doesn't make it less interesting.
0: (laughs) What have you learned from a sales perspective about what it takes to run really effective ABA campaigns? I mean, what, you know, what, are the, what are the factors that get in the way of running effective ABA campaigns? And what have you learned that works time and time again when people take a particular approach to running campaigns that really outperform the market?
2: Well, I think in general, it has to do with understanding. We, we really need to figure out how to be on the same page with, with our uh, agency partners or clients. Uh, very often we work in connection, in conjunction with, uh, with both uh, end clients, brands and, and the agency, agency partners. So it's very much about having an understanding, a common understanding of where we are in the sales funnel, in the decision making journey and how communication and di- at different levels can support the marketing activities and and the sales process in the end. And very often, uh, the account as advertising activities is more up-funnel. It's more generating reach. It's generating some interaction, uh, awareness, and sometimes also positioning, depending on the brand positioning situation uh, in, in the given situation. But it is the most effective campaigns is where you are able to bring the entire ABM strategy in play at the same time, so we have account-based advertising maybe on top, and that pushes the the communication towards the accounts, the companies in target, and where also we are able to adjust the communication as we go, maybe also moving changing communication uh, from phase one to phase two to phase three, in close relation to 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 the client and the agency during during the phase, and then having the other activities being social search, the traditional account-based sales activities as well, uh, all coming together and and where there is an overall objective and goal about bringing this in. Uh, Account-based advertising should never be seen as a standalone. We cannot just add a communication strategy and then that will fix it. You need to be able and understand the, the different elements and also the different levels of precision that you need to add. And also sometimes it's, if it's, and, and that's very often the case with our clients and, and the, and the business situation we, we, we try to, to assist on is that the, the products in, 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 in scope are very, very big. They are not selling, rest drilling is not an online business. They cannot sell their products online. It's a long, long journey. It's a really complicated decision. A uh, journey that, that they are part of. And, and in the end, it will be face to face meetings, maybe a lot of face to face meetings and even a lot of the, the ABM activities that, that also Philip mentioned that, that will in the end bring the win to Maersk or other brands. So, so it's really about understanding which layers to, to use when. And, and, also for us at Account Insight to understand, okay, what part of the equation are we actually supporting and, and, and how can we assist as close as possible in doing that? So the closer we are, the better, uh, agencies that really keep us on, in arm length, uh, doesn't really help the brand of the client, to be honest. Uh, not that, not said that, that I can do a better job than, than, than they can, because of course I can't. They are the strategic partner, etc. But but it's really important that that we try to get as close as possible to to uh, to the client situation, the client products, uh, understanding what's the objective of of this can of this campaign, and then having a, a a partner at the other end saying, well, we understand that that what you bring can do this and that, but we also acknowledge the fact that it won't bring it all in. We need to to work with the combination. So when we meet clients, when we meet agencies that that work with a more precise or more concise 360 APM strategy, as they do at at, at Merce Drilling, to be honest, it's just much more easier to assist because we are part of the equation and not a standalone and not just something that could be nice to add.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much.